Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor. And I'm your co-host, John Micton. Join us every two weeks for conversations with international school leaders, educators, and innovators who are working and engaging in the world of international school education. And finally, just to say a huge thanks to our valued partner, Faria Education Group. We'll jump back in later in the podcast to give you some more information about Faria Education Group. Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Micton. It's so nice to be here. Dan Taylor, our other co-host, is uh, right now in Bahrain and uh, might not be joining us, but he might pop in. Anyway, oh, thank you again for all the comments and the feedback, and we're getting a lot of traffic on Twitter and LinkedIn, and we greatly appreciate your support and the listeners that are engaging with our guests, and more importantly, all the guests that we get to have these wonderful, rich conversations. I'm very excited about today because uh, I'm going to meet, uh, be talking with Elke and Tamara from Create Positive, and Elke and I actually know each other through international schools. Uh, I had the pleasure of getting know, uh, Elke when she was in Berlin at an international school, and then we uh, connected through some workshops, and then I got to know tomorrow once LK and tomorrow got involved with Create Positive. And it's just such an honor and pleasure to have these two individuals with us who are women leaders, women startup. Uh, there's just so much rich things to talk about and learn from both of them. So I'm really excited to kick in. And of course, in the show notes, you will get the link to Create Positive and uh, Elke and tomorrow's bio. So definitely spend some time on the show notes and I really encourage you to go to Create Positive. It's quite amazing what they're doing, and I think you'll find it really interesting and maybe something that you as a leader or as a teacher or as an educator or as a school might want to leverage. But let's uh, not waste any more time. I'm going to start with Elke. And tomorrow, welcome. Thank you for being on the International School Podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here, John. And now we'd like to say a few words from a valued partner and sponsor, Faria Education Group. Faria Education Group has been with you through thick and thin, helping international schools minimize headaches and easing transitions. Whether through paperless admissions with OpenApply, curriculum first learning with ManageBack, or school to home management with SchoolsBuddy, Faria has been your partner. What's more, Faria has been expanding with additional services, including professional development for international school educators. MiniPD is a professional learning platform by practitioners for practitioners. With a global community of learners and coaches, MiniPD makes the learning experience more personal, flexible, and equitable. Looking for a PD solution for your school or something for yourself? Sign up for individualized coaching and enjoy a 10% discount using the code ISPODCAST. Head over to app.minipd.com, that's app.minipd.com, to book your personal learning coach today. MiniPD, embracing the learner in every educator. Great. So what I think would be really interesting, because you have such rich backgrounds, uh, is maybe just give us a little bio, because both of you really are educators at heart and kind of talk about that journey from being an educator to now being uh, running a business, running a well-being business, and of course, uh, women leaders and women startup leaders, that also all adds to the mix. So Elke, maybe start with you. Yeah, thank you, John. So I started actually as um, with my first degree as a social worker because I loved 
outdoor education and I love being um, in the woods with teenagers. So um, I started as a social worker and then thought there must be more. So I studied education, comparative education, looking into different schools and systems around the globe. Um, did my master in New York in alternative high schools, was very intrigued by that. I think that set off the stage already for Create Positive 20 odd years ago. And then did a PhD in the field as well. Um, continued on my journey after doing a lot of work in schools as a field worker, anthropologist, um, moving to Australia where I then ventured into my second career being a yoga teacher and meditation teacher and looked into well-being, especially teenager well-being from that side for eight or more years, um, having a studio there and then went back into international school education as a well-being and educational consultant. And that is when I lived in Malaysia and had the first well-being transformation in a school there and then hopped back to Berlin where I did more of that work and that's where then um, yeah then studied positive psychology along the way to sharpen my well-being mental health tools and that's when I met Tamara because we met over a cup of coffee in Melbourne at the positive psychology conference um, two or three odd years ago right Tamara and the conversation we had was around you know what hopping school by school is not going to cut it because there's such a need for mental health and well-being in schools that we gotta get bigger than that and then over from there tomorrow wow <laughs> i'm listening to you and i know you well and i'm still awed by all of the things that you've done and then... i am too absolutely it's yeah. phenomenal yeah <laughs> thank you um, my path has been different and i think as i listened to you i looked at all the places that we've converged and and kind of been separate in the way that we've come to this work mm. i was one of those students back in my school days that school really didn't work for me i was labeled gifted and went through a really cool and unique gifted program in canada that stopped abruptly in high school and then i took on all the layers of social peer pressure that said it's not good to be smart um and i kind of shifted gears and followed my curiosity um, without typical educational path. And, and so I had a dance studio, so followed my mom's footsteps. My mom is a dancer and then we ran a dance company for many years. And I hit a point where I thought I've done all that I can do with this and I'm curious about something else. Along the way, I had a daughter with autism. And one of the skills that I acquired being the mom to this quite severely disabled gal was uh, what I call my unflappability. And mm. Elka knows I talk about this. Oh, and I go into things backwards. So I became this before I understood how, and then I wanted to do the research to understand how come I was coping maybe a little bit better than a lot of the other moms that I knew. And so I started to delve into the research and I looked at mindfulness and meditation, and I looked at positive psychology and neuroscience and genetics and came kind of to the same place that Elka came to, uh, which is why we ultimately met uh, in Melbourne. And so I taught for a while for Deepak Chopra and wrote for the Chopra Center about adult well-being and how to feel and do your best. But I always had this little niggling inside me that said, what if instead of waiting until adults were a little bit broken, 
we helped make more resilient children. And that is how I landed in Australia, working with the brilliant pioneer team at Geelong Grammar School on their positive education program. And through them and well-being measurement of Flourish Diagnostics, Elka and I were connected through our mutual friend, and we both wanted to be more scalable, not to go school by school, to use the brilliance of technology to tell a school this solution works best for schools like you because we all want the most bang for our buck. We don't want the long way around. Uh, and this is really the curiosity that leads Elka and I and our business Create Positive to say, how can we help more people quicker? So that's really interesting how you, you, both of you refer to this idea of hopping from school to school. And there's a mm -hmm. sense that hopping is very surfacey. Maybe you don't get to dig in as much and you're kind of reacting to each new situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing that really you wanted something more sustainable that was more impactful that schools could really engage with long-term or medium-term depending. But that idea of having this organization create positive and then using leveraging the technology, which is amazing because your website is really engaging. And I, and I had the luxury of actually seeing the website at the very beginning. Mm. We've had some conversations together and it's just so nice to see that journey evolve. One thing that you all have done is the, the, in the forefront is this word well-being and you talk mm -hmm. about it in your different scenarios that you were involved. I'm wondering if COVID hadn't happened, mm. do you think well-being would be as front and center as it is today or is there a direct correlation we all very likely knew well-being was an issue we all knew that we maybe did not have a balanced life especially i think of many school administrators and teachers and uh educators around the world that are very dedicated and definitely school administrators uh you know long hours uh there's just a lot there's a lot coming at you and we've always been mindful of the word well-being but COVID kind of amplified that because on top of that then we had this kind of global grieving process that we didn't really understand with very little clarity where the tunnel was going to end was there light or not and i know that your organization kind of started if I'm correct or not, just before the pandemic or as the pandemic started. So where do you think you would be, you know, you're here today is what role did COVID have in that narrative to support the work that you're doing? So I think it started, Create Positive started before the word COVID was nowhere to be heard or seen when Tamara and I met and then Britta, our third co-founder. Um, but the topic of mental health issues, that is what brought us together in a way, because already the school transformation programs that I did before Create Positive were international schools being interested in having a ground up transformation towards more mental health and better well-being. And that to this day is a, um, a challenge for most of the schools. And that's why we are sitting in the international school market, because they we consider them as, um, sort of at the forefront. So the mental health crisis, I should say, has been before. So if you look at teacher burnout rates, that has been before the case. The one, the four people, four kids out of 20 in the classroom sitting undiagnosed with a mental health issue, that number is pre-COVID, right? So we had already the, the problem 
the awareness, if you ask me about the awareness, it was there, but it was much dimmer than it is now. It has been hugely amplified by and so, the pandemic. So exactly. So the pandemic amplified that. What's really interesting is the idea that you had already identified and worked with different stakeholders mm -hmm. that were ground up realizing mental health was important. And uh, that, you know, in an international setting, that's really important. Tamara, why do you think those schools were already thinking about it? What was happening maybe in the schools that had administrators or even school leaders start thinking, wow, we need to address this? Was there things actually happening in the schools? I think around the world, we were seeing an increase um, to people talking about stress, depression, anxiety, and mental health. And so the incidence had always been high, um, but fortunately, in the 2000s, we've opened the door to talking about it, something that used to kind of be swept under the rug. And at the same time, there is a little bit of a pressure cooker. More kids are having that pressure to go to university. They don't only want to go to a university, they want to go to the university. And so I think um, these external factors increased the spotlight on a situation that was already happening. And then we had great work and a ton of research that was showing that actually educator mental health deeply impacted what was going on with the students. And so this wasn't something that you could put on a happy face and hide if you as an educator were struggling, that there is this resonance between educator and student. And we're so fortunate that schools were starting to understand this and realizing that it was their role to address it. Uh, and so all of these things were happening pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. the, there was a good thing and a bad thing with COVID because COVID just made it worse. And so now we have this problem that nobody can ignore. Mm -hmm. But the bad side is people are really depleted. Uh, and so when we talk to educators around the world, they're all saying, we thought 2022 was going to be better. And it hasn't been because that long haul of our pressure, our it's it's like they've been sprinting for two years and they thought they were gonna get to taper down in the sprint and actually their sprints just turned into a marathon. Uh, and so that has been difficult that we now know we need to address it, but the psychological capital, the resources internally to address it aren't strong. And and so it's it's a real conundrum that we've got both things happening. Yeah. And, and the depletion is, I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because I know as a school administrator and a, a educator and many of my colleagues, there is that burnout because it, it was so long. And mm -hmm. what's amazing is how many teachers around the world went to school every day under very intense circumstances, you know, hybrid learning, rotations, wearing masks, disinfectant, you know, single rows, no cross-pollination. And all these things had to be organized. And what on top of that is that you had to kind of put a good face. And I want to kind of dovetail on that idea is that the idea that, you know, teachers come into the classroom and it's an emotional relationship. You give a lot of emotion. You're listening and understanding and giving empathy. And I think we underestimate how kids pick up when you're maybe emotional radar is down or maybe you're not in the best mood and I think that's so interesting how that indirectly impacts actually maybe student learning and student well-being too. Okay, how, how often do you think 
educators understand that? I think that's one of the biggest points we stress at the beginning of every um, client relationship we have with schools that, let me put it positively, that well-being is contagious. So if, and we all know this, John, if you are in a good mood as a teacher and enter a classroom, you can feel literally the energy in the classroom lifting. And it's a much easier lesson, right? It's a much easier go from the get-go. Yet, if you are depleted and if you're exhausted, and that's most of us at the moment, you don't even have to say a single tone. By the way you enter the classroom, it's known in the classroom. And if you look at it from a research point of view, so you're, if you're stressed, your cortisol levels are high, and you can measure that in the kids as soon as you are in touch with them, in contact with them, their cortisol level rises before you haven't said a word. So... If you're on the burnout scale, and that is a process that takes years, it's not coming overnight, you take your kids with you. And that should be the point where we say, okay, let's, and that's why actually create positive. We thought a lot, a lot about where do we focus? Do we focus on students or on leadership or on staff? We do focus on staff and leadership. That is one pack. That's one boat because that's, we could consider them multipliers because they touch many, many students. So if we can bring their awareness, and that's the thing, there are tools, proven tools, you can use even in dire times to self-protect, to self-preserve, to cope, um, and to help each other. If you, if you know how to do that, you can rescue yourself, and with that, you rescue your students without even saying one word about that. And that's so interesting. You bring up multiplier effect because, you know, a lot of people might think, well, you should focus on the students. Mm -hmm. But you're right. When you think of, a, a, let's just imagine in a high school, uh, you're a math teacher or a language mm -hmm. arts teacher. Mm -hmm. You know, you might be teaching 180 different kids. Uh, exactly. As a leader, a school leader, you might have 120, 300, you know, people that you're responsible for. So I just really like that focus on the idea of multi where can we get the most bang for our buck in mm -hmm. the sense of how can we be most impactful uh that's just really i just love that now one thing that is very interesting is you both had this journey doing many different things and so you get together you're having this coffee in melbourne and you suddenly decide you're going to start your own thing Tomorrow, how, how is that? You know, how does one just start drinking coffee? The next thing we have a website. It's just, I'm just curious. And also, you know, what's so rich is, you know, there's a lot about startups, but, and I might be wrong, but generally, uh, I don't think we often amplify women startups. And I think this is something that I would like to uh, talk a bit about. So tomorrow you're having this coffee with Elke and, what happens what you know you obviously have families you need an income uh you, you kind of jumped here well we did but not right after the coffee so okay. we we there was a span um where we were working in separate countries and in similar industries and we kept connected but it really elka and our other colleague britta had started fanning the flame of this business. They knew that something needed to happen. And Elka reached out to me and, and, and really said, come on, it's, it's time. We need to do this right at the very beginning of COVID. And when everything is already chaos, I think it's almost easier just to go, okay, why not? Everything has already come undone. Let's just jump in and do the right thing. And so it really did 
um, feel like the perfect timing and the perfect meeting of minds. And absolutely, it's been very interesting. So one of the roles that I play in our company is, is kind of that business mind. And I have learned this from great female business leaders like Marie Forleo. I went through her B school. Um, and I've gone through the Founders Institute and there's a massive lack of females represented there. And what I find very interesting is when there are women, they tend to be for businesses you would consider women's businesses. So we hear from leaders like Spanx who make underwear to make women skinny or a peanut butter company who's made a healthier peanut butter to feed your family. Um, and so even though the marketing is, the market has opened up for female founders, education, especially educational leadership is a fairly male dominated space. Mm -hmm. And it's a conversation that Elka and I have when mm -hmm. we're working with uh, school leaders. Are we going to bring a dude into the room so that we're more relatable? Um, and I, I would love actually your opinion on that, John, because it's something that Elka and I have been talking about recently that, and I will, I will add one more thing that although we are both women, I think that I embody a lot more masculine traits. Um, and so mm -hmm. that is helpful, but mm -hmm. I still have long blonde hair and I still look like a gal. And, and so yeah. it, it is a tightrope that we're walking. I'm curious. But tomorrow, but tomorrow I, I think that's important when you bring up, I think, you know, males and females, we all have some masculinity and some femininity and, and that can be leveraged. And you're saying you, you have more of the business and maybe you said more of the masculinity. I, I, you know, definitely if, if you personally, I think uh, if you are an open-minded person, you, do, you know, and it's all a group of women that are open-minded and understand the male journey. I don't think you need to have a male in the room to understand men. Uh, but I, you know, th that's my personal opinion. And the same with men. I think if men get together and they're willing to be open-minded and, and empathetic and really listen to understand a woman's voice, uh, especially in a business sense, or if you're marketing to that group, then I think you can do it. I, I, I think they're not mutually exclusive. W what I think is interesting is that, uh, as you were talking and you were looking at women leaders, you were seeing they were in certain uh, areas. And, and ironically, next Monday, I have Dr. Patricia Angoy, who is a school leader, and we're going to talk about black women in leadership in mm -hmm. international schools, which is another challenge and, and mm -hmm. women in leadership. And I know that there, there's much more emphasis and there's much more work being done. There's women in ed uh, organization, which is part of ECIS. They're doing some great work. I think it's so important to amplify this because I think so often and you know, I am a white, gray-haired male. I am the atypical school leader. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, that is something that, that's been a real challenge. And especially for women who are very talented and bring so much. I think there's just kind of this invisible uh, net that sometimes prevents that advancement. And, uh, and it's so refreshing to have people like you, you know, leading the way. When you were building this company, I assume... Did you have some funding or were you working and saying, okay, on the weekends and nights, I'm going to do some work because, you know, there, there are different philosophies about startup. Generally, they say, don't quit your day job to start a startup and don't do it alone. 
what were some of the things that you had to juggle as you began began this journey? Because, you know, you were taking a leap of faith into a market that maybe you were had never been in. And I'll leave to either of you to answer that. Yeah, one, one number I just want to throw in, because I think that's a number we are running against, um, quite frankly. It's um, only 15% of startups are female-led, and it's much harder for them to get funding than male startups. Yeah, so, I'm not surprised to hear that. And that's what we face. So we are currently bootstrapping, and we understand that you need to drive a company to a certain point that is funding worthy. That means our, our minimal viable product, what are we selling, has to be at a point that it becomes interesting for somebody to fund. And we are just at that sweet spot now with the, and we haven't even talked about that, John, with you beforehand, but we're just launching the first product, online product that we think is phenomenal and can make a difference. And with that, we're going to do our next because we are in touch with um, with investors all the time. And that's what you do. You build up relationships with them. You keep on feeding them. Hey, it's us again and again. So and Tamara is, is the queen of that because she, she can be very persistent. And and then what we do is um, feeding them the product. Right. And saying, OK, now if this is the product, if you give us money, hey, this how it could look like in a year. And I think we're just at that point. So Tamara, talk to me a bit about the resistance of investors wanting to invest with female startups, because we know that, you know, women are very successful in managing uh, a lot of things. And, and we have so many evidences. But what is it about an investor when they see Elke and you walk in the room? They're like, eh, I, I'm, I need to more, have more. What, 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 do you, what are you noticing? That's a great question. And uh, number one, there haven't been a lot of rooms over COVID. So it's been a whole new world of talking to people through a lens, um, which is different. But I think what hasn't changed is that it's unconscious bias that really is the challenge. I don't think any of the, the men that I've talked to who are funders, who have funded project after project successfully, look at us and go, oh, they're wearing pink, they're girls, they're moms, we're out. It's it's not that process at all. I think it can be as simple. Uh, I was explaining to my husband, who is a technology guy the other day, there's a different way that men and women greet one another when they pass one another in the halls. Men tend to nod their heads up and women tend to nod their heads down. And it's a power dynamic. Um, it talks about dominance and subordinates in a very subtle way. And these things take time to be unpacked. And so in a Zoom room, something subtle like that, when you've got a three minute pitch, isn't something that you can unpack and say, yeah. oh, by the way, before we start telling you about our awesome business, check your bias at the door. <laughs> um, and, and so I think there's a lot of talk, which is brilliant, about equity and diversity and inclusion. And all of these things are helping to move us forward. And I think that minds are open. Mm. It just takes a little more time. And do you find tomorrow, so, you know, you come into a Zoom room or a physical room and, and there is this unconscious bias. 
Is there something that you try to do to address it? Or do you feel because it's unconscious, it's better just to be who you are and push your idea? And it's the idea that they need to engage with. It doesn't matter that you're wearing pink or that you're women. It, you're selling the idea and get them to kind of jump onto the idea and forget who's in front of them. It's a great question, John, and I actually use techniques like using your name. So you've noticed Elka and I both say John a lot. That is part yeah. of, you're one of us, we belong, we're, we're in the same club. The, the knowing the nod, how to make eye contact, making sure that you do have a chance to be heard uh, because often women talk a lot less in a meeting mm -hmm. than their male counterparts might. Um, and I'm also, really aware of the words and the posture that people in the room are using. And I listen and not mimic, but take that on as this, this is how I can best be heard. The last thing I want to do is become a chameleon that changes, create positive for every client. Yeah. But I do, some clients need to hear, we need more energy. Other clients need to hear, we really need the ability to calm and cope. They're actually two sides to the same coin. And so it's our job mm. to hear what is being said and then provide the solution that is needed, which is the same solution. Uh, it's just a different access point. And so the same thing is true with, with funders. Um, and I understand in this market where it's a very competitive market for money and time of mentors, we are really interested in learning from people who have done things well. Um, and so we're we're lucky that we've been able to bootstrap and we can be a little bit picky about who we would take money from because we want some, we, we keep saying, this needs to be somebody that we would want to sit down and have dinner and a glass of wine with, not just someone who's throwing yeah. money and doing that to a hundred companies and not caring. We need somebody who cares deeply. And that's really so important to hear because I think what you're looking for is people to have an intrinsic connection to who you are as an organization and they see that an affinity to that so they believe in it. So it's more than, okay, I'm just giving you $100 or whatever, but I'm, I'm giving you that because I really believe in it and let me show you in my actions and my voice and my tone that I'm really committed to what you're doing. Okay, do you think when you interact with school leaders and many mm -hmm. school leaders are male not all but there is a, a, a majority mm -hmm. do you feel that being a, a female organization that you also get that reaction or is it different because in the business world we're talking tomorrow's done such a nice job of explaining some of the tactics and some of the dispositions that you've engaged with do you notice those also needing to be used and when you're interacting with clients that are school leaders that might be male you know what's interesting? I have a PhD and that seems to be the trump card. And I'm very honest with that because that is because it's an academic career and, and um, a, a school leader is an academic job in, in big parts. And I have, a, have that title and that seems to open the doors and with that you have authority. And yes, it was five years of research, but I'm just Elke, right? And then I'm a yoga teacher as well, and I'm a meditation teacher, and I, I could walk up with my yoga gear, right? But that, that seems to carry, and that's the trick. And, um, and also, I, I firmly believe that energy carries. And we are one thing for sure. We are completely passionate and compassionate about this topic. I, 
this is this is for me a life mission it is important well-being has been at the forefront of my heart and mind and soul for a long time and this this is what we serve we serve the community and that is the most important message to bring across and that gets us over the line again and again because we are very authentic we are vulnerable we are listening and let's not forget we don't talk about a cognitive knowledge transfer we talk about mental health we talk about the ability to trust to find psychological safety when you engage in the topic of well-being we talk about the topic of opening yourself up to introspection opening yourself up to sometimes uncomfortable question with yourself and that needs to be established that cannot be just there and that is what we we what I think is is so important to notice there needs to be human connection and human touch for this topic to land well or mm. it's not going to land at all and, and I think and I, that's the most important part in this whole business and I think yes. that is what people now are gravitating more and more to is yes. this idea of authenticity the yes. passion and I think it's so important the way you say the energy you know when you walk in a room I have been doing a lot of virtual uh, learning lofts and a lot of virtual stuff over the last two years. And uh, my colleague, Nancy Scuccherini, and I definitely believe you can have energy in a virtual room. There are mm -hmm. things that you can do. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, tomorrow you alluded to the way you might interact with your physical head moving and, and, you know, where you position yourself. So I just really like the way you talk about that, Elke, is that's this idea that you bring the energy and that's what people connect with. Yeah. What I want to do is we've been kind of talking about your journey and some of the challenges would be nice tomorrow, maybe if you could tell us in, in a few minutes, you know, I'm a school, I come across your website, what can I expect? What are some things that I could engage with? I have a faculty, we definitely are depleted, we're tired, we might have some burnout, and I reach out to you. What would be kind of your pitch? What would be your things that you would want us to be thinking about as we engage with your organization? Mm, great question. When people find us, it's usually through someone who's worked with us. And, and we call these people our champions of well-being. Um, and just to be really clear, because well-being is a confusing and often misunderstood term, when we say well-being, we talk about your ability to feel good and to function well. So this isn't you at a spa. Um, th this is really getting stuff done managing your personal energy, managing your relationships at their best. So when someone reaches out to us, often it's a member of a international school or a public school or any school staff, and they are someone who has an interest in feeling better and functioning better. And often they come to us for their students first because they have a story of something that's gone wrong at the school or at its best, we get somebody who's being really proactive and they have looked ahead and they recognize there's going to be a shift, there's going to be a change. And we wanna make sure that everybody on our team has the tools to make it through this change successfully. And when that person connects with us, we love to chat with them. And Elka is brilliant. One of her, her best skills is listening deeply to someone and just understanding okay, this is what they need. 
Um, and I think that is her secret sauce that we are uh, trying to, to code so that we can expand at that more people, more schools, more teachers, more students, um, because what she hears and then what she understands and when we go back to the school and say, oh, so you need this, they feel heard and seen um, in a really new way. And so what this often is, is some type of kickoff, which in its full meal deal package can be a live training. Um, during COVID, the live trainings were live via Zoom, um, but at its best, they're in person because humans love to gather. And after that, an ongoing dialogue of this is what's happening now, this is what we need next, plus a drip feed of what we call sparks. And these are our, our newest, most unique um, and exciting product because what we hear from so many schools is we know we have to do this and we don't have time. Mm -hmm. And we really listened deeply and plucked through the tens of thousands of interventions that are out there and figured out the ones that we could take down to something that you can do in under three minutes. And we now deliver these post professional development or post online learning opportunity right to the user, the teacher, the member of the school staff, the secretary at the front office um, in these little tiny doses. And what we're learning from that is actually that teachers love these, that they feel that was a good use of my three minutes and I actually feel better. And I, I learned something that I can do for myself and for my class. And so really that is right now our most exciting product. At the same time, we are developing some online programs for leaderships and some certifications. Mm -hmm. And we, we are never short of ideas. That, that is something you can say about Elka and I. Um, and so right now the sparks and these online courses are really the first place we would go to. And we love working with schools who have already started something before we get there so that we can build and make it better. Um, and that's, I think the, the thing that makes Create Positive unique is that we're not a framework. We are framework agnostic. We like to listen to, okay, this, this is what you've already done. You've, you've done this safeguarding course. You've done this equity, diversity, inclusion course. You've done this now what's missing, what would make this more whole is this piece. And so we fit inside and amplify and strengthen what's already happened. And then we extend it a bit with these sparks, which feels very I, personal. I can think I, what's, yeah, go ahead, Elke, please. Can I add one thing? Because the, the, the deep listening at the beginning, what's really important to us is as well that we um, give agency over to the people we work with. So often we do, we do always a survey at the beginning, a measurement survey to so where's your well-being at this moment? And second, what is your, what is your pain point? So if we talk about, for example, hey, we want to do something on emotional intelligence, here are some topics you can do, yeah? Naming emotions, um, noticing, noticing in your body. What, what do you want to do? So we ask, we give them choices. We give the staff choices and then they pick and select their options of, of modules we already have. And those are the ones we address. And once we've finished, we do another survey. We do another outcome measurement to see where actually have we landed and what would be the next thing to do 
or where is where is more work to be done so that you feel you have reached that level that you wanted to reach? There are two things that really resonate for me. The first one, uh, Tamara, is this idea of drip feed because the time mm. is an issue. And I think that's so important. And so often people think for well-being, you need to take like a whole afternoon off and go and to yoga. But they're like two, three minute breathing exercises or just mindfulness. And I, I really like that idea. So it makes it kind of accessible in a busy day. You could actually just walk outside of your classroom and maybe go into a cupboard where all the staples are and just close the door and have your drip feed moment. So I, I really like that. The other one that I think is very powerful is this idea of being agnostic, platform agnostic, because so often when schools engage with organizations or platforms, they have to divorce themselves from what they've done. Mm -hmm. And there's always this feeling that, well, then maybe we did it wrong. And I really like the idea that you say, no, we, we validate what you did, but this might be a missing component and we can fill that in to kind of make it a fuller package. And I think that's something that schools really appreciate is that so often, you know, when you work with organizations, they usually go with what they call the deficit model. They tell you everything that you've done wrong. And I think, you know, if you start with, with things that you've done right and here's some missing pieces, it's a very different conversation. And I just really want to applaud the way that approach that you're describing, I think is very powerful. The other one is listening, is I get a sense, and I, I haven't, you know, I, I can't, I don't know, but I get a sense, if you're willing to listen, and you're listening deeply for understanding, that also says that you're not pushing your product. You're, you're actually saying, let's listen first, let's really understand what and who you are before we go into the drip feed. And, and, the, and, and I think people really appreciate that because people want to be heard. And I think also as an organization, if you listen, you actually very likely find out much more than if you talk. And I don't know what you think yourselves on that strategy because a lot of organizations and companies and whatever it is tend to be a little more directive and they kind of give you the laundry list. But I sense you're going with a very, almost like bottom-up approach where you're letting your client or your school leader or the school to really uh, express themselves and share their, their kind of their journey before you really engage. Is that purposeful? Is that kind of a strategy that you came up with as an organization? Not that it's, it's not done anywhere else, but was that almost uh, done purposely? You, you said, this is the way we need to approach this. Yeah, I think it is because again, well-being is something that that is a very personal journey, and it's a school culture journey. So, and I used to do school um, field work, right? So I would sense by going into the school already, how does it smell? How does the kids come up when they walk down the hall? Do they recognize me that I'm a stranger and I'm walking into the school? Do they smile, or do the teachers have eye contact with the kids when they walk down the hall or not? all that is, is already part of, of diagnostic, of, of finding out what's going on. So listening, because we are now online, we are not walking the schools. <laughs> we wish we could. One day it'll happen um, through technology, but at the moment it doesn't. That's what we do. And also through the surveys, we hear not only one voice, eventually we hear many more voices of the school because it might be one thing um, what the school leader might tell us and it might be different from the staff perspective. And if we can't do this with the entire staff, we do a focus group interview, for example, and, and we heckle that out with the school 
or with the schools work with, because at the moment it looks almost like, you know, that schools are interested in working with each other, not only with us. And that is a great idea because they have so much knowledge and best practice. Can we profit from that and work together and get those school leaders together? Um, at the moment we have a heavy, um, or even heavy, it is heavy. We have an interest from school leaders in working with us and doing a school leadership program because they have been so isolated in the last two years and they they just need a break. And that's yeah. and that is exactly what we now offer. And they actually have so much to offer themselves if they have the room. Like we just had the leadership conference, right? ECS, and that was booked like that for a reason. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's at the moment what's needed. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. I, I'm just mindful of time, and maybe I can go to you tomorrow. We have many of our listeners are women leaders, are women educators, and we've had quite a few actually women educators that have begun the journey of a startup or decided they want to move into a new space, maybe become a coach. Or it's, What would you say if there are some of our members here, our audience, our listeners, they're thinking, you know, I have this great idea, I'm, I'm a woman, I want to leverage this at a next level. What are some things that maybe you would want people to be mindful of as they begin that journey? And I know we could do a whole podcast. Well, on yeah. This, so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of unfair. So I apologize. For no, not, not at question. all unfair. What, what comes to mind first is start before you're ready. Um, especially. So with I'm going to stop you there. If I may stop, stop, start before you're ready. Now that's quite provocative because what you're saying is that it's almost as if you have to take faith in something you're not fully sure of. Is that what you're saying? I think so. And, and I, from what I have learned, looking into the education system and working with teachers, um, the system of school has many of its ducks in a row. That is never going to happen in the business world. And if you're waiting for the perfect structure, the perfect timing to have your perfect pitch, to have your product finished, you're not going to get there. You're not going to, you have to be really comfortable in jumping. I always say that I'm the one on the team who, who jumps before we've even started sewing the parachute. And um, Britta, our, our third founder, is frantically sewing the parachute after I jumped out of the plane. Um, and that's why we do well together, the three of us, because we balance this bravery. Um, and there's different types of bravery. My bravery comes in courage to jump out of the plane, but there's other bravery about perseverance that Elka embodies deeply. Uh, and I have the type of bravery that is zesty. There's other, other aspects of this. And so that starting before you're ready is permission to show someone your rough draft, um, that it, it's not perfect, it's not all sussed out, and then the confidence to mm -hmm. take on what they say. One of the questions that I ask almost every client and almost every funder mm -hmm. that we speak to is tell me why this won't work. Because I actually really want to know what I don't know. And my mind loves to be blown when somebody tells me something that makes the kaleidoscope shift a little bit and changes everything. Uh, and, and so I think that would be another great thought for someone wanting to start something is, 
of course, ask everybody why you're the person to do it, but also ask, what am I missing? Why won't this work? So that you can learn. We have a great negativity bias as humans. We're really good at seeing what will go wrong. Um, and asking other people to share that with you will help to inform you. So those would those would be, they don't sound like positive tips. Start before you're ready. No, no but, I, <laughs> but I, I think they're positive because I think there are things that maybe people wouldn't think of. Because as you said, you know, especially if you've been in the education space and, you, you know, as a classroom teacher, you need things tightly organized. There's timing. There's appropriate times to do things, inappropriate times. There's seasonal things. You know, kids at certain, you know, that Friday afternoon before the holiday, there's very little you're going to do. And, and you know that, you know. And, but I think what, what's important, what I'm walking away is that don't expect that stability. Don't expect that predictability. And I think, you know, that is so important. LK, could you have done this alone? I mean, Tamara talked about this idea that there's there's this relationship between Britta, yourself, and Tamara. And you know, you all have ideas, you're all very passionate. Why couldn't you have done it alone? And I I, I would ask the same question to Tamara and Britta, but just LK, why wouldn't couldn't you do this alone? I I, I knew I couldn't do this alone. So it would because I need other skill sets and I don't want to be isolated like a school leader sometimes sits in the office. I want to have my, my soulmates, sort of my colleagues with me on the journey. And um, when I say soulmates, it's, it sounds easy. Hey, we do hackle a lot. Yeah, we, we do have argues, we do rub against each other. Uh, and we need to span, you know, three locations and everything is done online. It's not all rosy. Let's, let's just be really honest about that. And we need to walk the talk. We need to, we work a lot. A startup is not an easy thing to do. Let me tell you, you work hours and hours and you get frustration and then you get your win. And, and, and yet it, I wouldn't do it any other way. And I wouldn't do it with people who are ex exactly like Elke because that I'm more than enough of that right so I need I need, <laughs> I need tomorrow's balance and I need Twitter's reality check whoa you know yeah and I think that's what I would my last tip would be for another person don't do it alone you, you, you need other shoulders to do this with to weather it yeah and what's amazing and I don't think our listeners know Elke is based out of Berlin generally and then tomorrow's in Vancouver I'm not sure where Brit is where's Britta located Deep Bavaria in Traunstein. In Traunstein, okay. So you are, uh, you, you, yeah, you optimize the, the modern startup with this virtual yep. meetings and, and the time zone, I know tomorrow, it's quite, you're, you're nine hours away. So you're having, you very likely haven't yet had your coffee. So thank you for getting up so early. Uh, but yeah, th that that's so important. And that's nice to hear is, and LK, you know, hats off to you, like you said, I don't need too much LK and I, I just think that's so humble and it's so nice the way you said that because I think having gotten to know you, you definitely complement each other. You're very different, but the kind of the combination is perfect and, and I really have uh, enjoyed having these interactions with you. I'm just mindful of time. I want to thank both of you for your time and just your inspiration and just that, you know, what you shared and the wisdom that you gave out. I want to remind to our listeners, createpositive.org. 
don't waste any time go and check it out maybe you want those little uh sparks maybe get and if you are thinking about well-being and that's something that's front and center or something that should be front and center reach out to elkin tomorrow and britta and i know they'll be really excited to talk to you and i want to thank you on behalf of the international school podcast both of you uh for being here today and we look forward to keeping in touch and as we say to all our guests we'll catch up next year and see where you guys are mm, thank nice you. thank you john thank you so much john bye everybody <laughs>